Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast. In your week in IndyCar listener Q&A episode, we are starting this fine recording at 11.18 p.m. Monday night, March 2nd. Mrs. Pruitt absolutely destroyed physical therapy today. So proud of her. Uh, Did some things for the first time she hasn't done in... I don't know, about a year, so just, yeah, really heartwarming and encouraging, encouraging day in physical therapy for her. Uh, These days tend to run a little bit late with with physical therapy thrown in, and then we are out early-ish tomorrow morning with uh, our standing chemo appointment and another appointment before that with our oncologist and all kinds of fun. But in and among all of this, was able to speak with a couple of pals that tested today at Sebring. Felipe Nazar, if you have not read the story on racer.com, I would urge you going back. I'm not sure when this is going to get posted, maybe Tuesday night. Uh, but going back and reading his quotes from the planes, trains, and automobiles type journey for him to get from from where he was to Sebring to test for Carlin and go fastest overall here on Monday with a little more than half the field. All the Andretti cars, all the Ganassi cars, uh, lots of good cars to try and go faster than uh, in the number 31 Chevy. Saw this morning that Swiss European junior open-wheel journeyman Ralph Boshong, I'm not sure if I pronounce his last name correctly, uh, who I somehow got added to his personal email distribution list years ago, so just kind of out of nowhere. You know, the Sunday, whatever, here's all the Formula One press releases coming in from teams or whatever, or IndyCar stuff, and then, hey, Ralph Boshong finished ninth at the gp3 race at wherever in heim uh or hey he crashed out of the thing at the such and such and ring in formula two and it can just kind of out of nowhere i th- i appreciate his pr rep for thinking i wanted to stay on top of ralph boshong uh news and yeah then i realized i unsubscribed about a year ago which is why it was fun seeing his name pop up this morning when i got an early glimpse at testing times don't ask me how uh early glance at testing times from sebring and saw the good old ralphie boy uh no red uh no red rifle for him but ralphie boy uh was at least listed in the number 31 did not turn any laps and then felipe climbed in the car in the afternoon for the afternoon session and was thinking Ralph would be maybe doing some laps. Who knows? Maybe tomorrow he will. I don't know. But I had heard that there might have been some issues of uh, the money clearing in order to play race car. Can't tell you if that's true or not, but the person that I heard it from is not a practitioner of nonsense. So, yeah. So we'll see. Uh, We might have had a new driver to talk about uh ralphie boy who knows if he'll get into a car uh if he does his background and his results would suggest that he is better than renee bender 
All right, so we're going to move on to other stuff. Uh, what else? Man, I got a lot of writing to do. Like, a lot. Uh, at PT today was looking through a long interview that I did with uh, Penske Group. Is it President, I believe is his title? Uh, Bud Denker. And I already put up one story where he mentioned about doing the public driver uh, meetings and whatnot as part of the show going forward here. And I don't know, we crossed about six or seven other topics. So went through that transcript and I'm going to break those into individual stories and just a lot of other, a lot of other stuff to get done. It's a little bit scary to think that next week it's the first week of the IndyCar series at St. Petersburg. Half of me is like, man, this off season's taken forever. And the other half, knowing that things have been extraordinarily busy for a long time, is a little bit freaked out, trying to figure out how I'm going to get all the stuff I've had sitting in the can for a while produced. So, I know, uh, first world problems here. Oh, woe is me. Got to get that stuff done nonetheless, so that's something I'm going to try and knock out as best I can. What else? What else comes to mind? Our boy Sebastian Bourdais was P3 today. In testing, he was P1 a couple of times throughout the day. It's just great to see that going so well for the team right now. The good old A.J. Foyt program, Seb and I texted at the end of the day, and he said, they're doing exactly what they should have been doing, and that is not trying to maximize the car to be perfect for Sebring to win the day, to put up the fastest lap time at Sebring. The things that we're working on, things that will help at St. Pete, at mostly street courses, road courses, street courses heavily, a little bit of road course stuff as well. But just good to hear that, indeed, the speed they were producing was not specialized. We're going to just tune and tune and optimize for this track we don't race on to put up the big showy number. It, indeed, came as a result of working on things that should be good elsewhere and coincidentally were also very, very quick at Sebring. Uh, let's see, what else? All right, totally random thing, but I don't know. Maybe you'll find it of interest. Looking through an Ancestry.com profile that my wife and I created five, six years ago, just got a notion to look again. And so last night, we actually stayed up well past our bedtime uh, looking at new discoveries and trying to find old relatives and such. And it was pretty interesting to see that on my mother's father's side, uh, it would appear our lineage goes back to the last one that we could find. Uh, My great, 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 whichever it is, grandfather, Uh, was born in Hamburg, Germany. And we were able to find his, call it Ellis Island, immigration and naturalization paperwork, which was just phenomenal. And then the other, which, again, this is only half of a half of a portion of the family lineage, uh, we are able to find that on my father's mother's side, And so this is, for some of you, you might know, Chitwoods, as in Joey Chitwood, who was longtime president of Daytona before that, uh, other raceways, including IMS, but most famously the the Chitwood Thrill Show. 
so that's my family on my grandmother's side, my father's mother. Really interesting to be able to trace our lineage there back through her bloodline to the 1700s to the United Kingdom. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, so we're going to do more digging, but just one of those things where it's quite a surprise, quite, quite a surprise. And she and I were just doing high fives as we're finding her family tree, which is just so insane uh, that we'll save that for another episode. But just one of those things where you're like, hey, you know, I do a thing and I live a life and yada, yada. And you're like, oh, hey, let's take a look. And all of a sudden, pieces of a family puzzle that i just i don't know why i didn't bother looking before but yeah so that's pretty cool gotta admit we've been on a little bit of a high uh tracing some of our family roots last thing that comes to mind to share with you on the topic of good family related to uh, i know a couple of folks have asked and keep getting asked hey am i going to see you in saint pete uh you will not you will not. And I know that there was a question last week about that, but I'll just mention it up front. Not that this matters at all. Just have more and more people asking, knowing that I've had to skip some races. So I uh, just figured I'd share it up front that while Mrs. Pruitt is just a, a truly inspirational figure, our road to recovery for her that would allow me to get on a plane knowing that she can indeed take care of herself at home and drive to appointments and look after all these things on her own. Not there yet. So I'm hoping Long Beach, hoping Long Beach, but that also means I'll skip Sebring for IMSA and Barber, I guess, and yada, yada, yada. So that's a little bit of the home update. should mention I am enjoying Samuel Smith's, and you might have picked up that I'm a fan of Samuel Smith's beers. An organic chocolate stout, which I've never tried before because the thought of drinking a beer with chocolate in the name just made me think like, what? And it says organic to a big label that says organic. And I'm like, look, I'm Californian. I struggle with that fact at some points in time. Like, the okay, don't be too much of a stereotype, Mr. Organic Granola. We're in my flip-flops, man, kind of guy. So what do I do? I go and buy Samuel Smith's Organic Chocolate Stout. Very stereotypical California move. Never having tried this before. And it's really good. <laughs> ah! I'm embarrassed. I really like it. This is ridiculous how good this is. And you can actually taste There's a chocolatey, like, taste to it. I know beer, chocolate doesn't seem to make sense. This actually is a harmoniously blended thing. Uh, it's quite good. Uh, we need to say thank you to Cooper Tires. We really, truly need to say thank you to the Justice Brothers. TorontoMotorsports.com. They, they're just pals. They're super extra pals. And we're going to give away stuff as we do with every episode, courtesy of them in just a moment. And also Bell Racing Helmets, USA. So our winner, winner, I guess, granted, do you consider yourselves winners? Or is it just kind of like, oh, hey, the guy sent me some towels to wash my car with. Great. Oh, they they look like t-shirts, but, you know, uh, they're just rags. I don't know. That could all be the absolute 
case. What I would say is I hope that you enjoy the things that we send your way. This all happens through a mechanism on Facebook, through the Marshall Pruitt Podcast Facebook page, where we look at whose question from the previous week got the most, most, most likes and say, hey, you get to have something free if you want it. And we just ask that you, dear winner, send me uh, some sort of direct message with an email address. And that way I can connect you with the fine folks at torontomotorsports.com. The person who should be doing that right now is a fine, fine listener, one of the world's preeminent beatboxers. I have it on good authority that if we're talking fondue, no one makes finer fondue. And if we're also talking about someone who speaks in tongues on occasion, just for reasons we don't completely understand, fluent in Finnish, despite not being Finnish, that is Greg Liver's Edge, who last week asked our guest, Oliver Askew, the obvious elephant in the room when it comes to the offseason at McLaren is Hinch leaving, how have fans reacted to your arrival, and the new seat at McLaren, hopefully... You, uh, have you personally experienced any backlash or not? And Oliver answered that very succinctly. And I thought that was a great question, Greg. And I'm glad that Oliver at least answered it. But as I continue to talk with him more, just as guy who's done this a while, uh, I'm going to encourage him to be a little bit less polished. Why? It's hard to be a fan of someone if you feel like you don't know them. And so, love the question, Greg. Wasn't necessarily happy with the answer because it was intentionally a non-answer and a dodge. But I appreciate your sending it in. So shoot me that direct message with your email address. We'll get you a free week in IndyCar t-shirt and some stickers and who knows what all else courtesy of torontomotorsports.com i believe all those goodies for the most part carry some fine branding as well from cooper tires and the justice brothers so you know we give you free stuff because we like you we're gonna get rocking and rolling here i've only had two sips of beer it feels like after probably not getting to sleep properly until about 4 a.m. and then getting up a couple hours later like I'm drunk and maybe hear that in my tone of voice. Nonetheless, I am Marshall Pruitt. This is the Weekend in IndyCar Listener Q&A Show, and it is time officially to start rocking and rolling with your questions, and I'm going to get as far as I can before I have to go help my wife and then go to bed. Gabe Argenta, you are first up on engine penalties ask could you clarify the engine and grid penalties topic your article mentions no penalties will be applied to the indy 500 but does the engine used during the month of may still count towards the four for the season the uh, 10,000 mile limit so gabe the way it's laid out in the rules for the indy 500 and everything that works there it's fairly straightforward i believe So the four engines, 10,000 miles rule applies to the motor used at the Indy 500. 
I'll get to the penalty stuff in a moment, but this is a, just a good one to know up front. So the way the rules are written, it says, so you get these four motors. You need, well, we won't specify how many miles that must be completed on each before it's changed out, considered an approved change, and there's no penalty involved. We'll let the manufacturers decide that. But there's a bit of a practical thing, right? If you've got four motors and they're meant to last 10,000 miles, if you were to intentionally take one out after 1,000 Instead of splitting it four ways, 2,500 miles a piece, give or take a little bit, you're obviously overburdening the other three. So at least structurally, the way the rule is meant to be applied is you got four. They're supposed to last 10,000. That's roughly what they estimate will be needed over the course of a season, plus preseason testing, plus in-season testing. And so you get through your 2,500-ish miles. You change to another, your second motor and such. What they do for the Indy 500 is say, hey, obviously it's a big and important race. We wouldn't want you coming in and having to go through the month and potentially be on a high-mileage motor for the month. Who knows? Even maybe trying to get through the race itself, which wouldn't happen, but nonetheless... So we're going to give you a little bit of a a bonus option here. You can fit a fresh engine, uh, call it your, you know, a brand new engine from your engine supplier before the Indy 500 race without a penalty. So in essence, you have folks coming into the Indy 500 on a motor with miles on it, and they will certainly and we're talking the full season entrance, and they will certainly run that through practice and qualifying and then get that fitted, a uh, fresh one fitted for the race itself. Uh, after the race, you're given the option to stick with that motor, the fresh one you just put in, and you have to mileage that one out. Then you need to go back to the one before and mileage that out, or you again. You have to use those up. That's the key thing. Where there's a little bit of incentive here, Gabe, on the race motor is by this time, we have both Chevy and Honda working on improvements and updates, and they are firing those into the motors that are freshly built and distributed to their teams for the race. So... While you could, in theory, again, depending on your mileage situation, try and bring a motor with that's been in the car and done Long Beach and Coda and whatever else into the month of May, do the NDGP, do practice, do qualifying, and, again, potentially try and race with it, you would probably be at a disadvantage, not just on the mileage standpoint, we know that the higher engine mile, uh, higher mile engines are often the ones that go kerblamo, but also specification, right? Whether it is a power improvement, torque improvement, fuel mileage efficiency improvement, those are the kinds of updates that the manufacturers work on feverishly to bestow upon their teams 
for the race to then hopefully win the biggest race of the year. The way the rules work on the penalty side is, say, Indy GP, someone blows a motor. Well, that comes with a penalty. Since we're going straight into the Indy 500 and they don't want to mess with tradition, the field of 33 and shuffling drivers around based on penalties, they say, cool, whatever you got coming in, you're just that's going to skip right over the 500 and get paid at the next race or who knows how many penalties you might have but those are going to get paid after the 500 another quick thing here to close this game if you blow a motor during the 500 well you pay that penalty as well at the next round so yeah a little bit of a pause again no penalties paid during the indy 500 uh you do have that option which everyone takes all the full-timers to put in that fresh brand new latest spec motor uh, but you still have to mileage that out and the one before it so that's the best way i could describe that uh where are we going next we're going to a practice observer who says hey mp the mercedes dos system which i hope some of you saw many of you saw if not head over to roadandtrack.com working with our guest this week my pal craig hampson race engineer supreme put together a fairly i thought was a pretty good little article about the dos system and its merits and whatnot um a practiced observer says the mercedes dos system is a been a very cool story in f1 these past couple weeks would the positive effects in tire wear and drag reduction be emphasized on a super speedway uh, and then says, also with the next Gen Indy car chassis, could it be added as a driver tool like the Weight Jacker? Uh, it would most certainly be a just, yeah, a glorious thing on a super speedway, uh, especially at Indy, where the amount of time spent to remove any little, the craziest, most minute amount of friction and rolling resistance, uh, those efforts are expended and aerodynamic purity maximum drag reduction yes this would be really truly uh a a phenomenal value are we talking 10 miles an hour per lap i don't think so couple miles an hour i'm guessing but still it'd be pretty darn huge Uh, as for the next indycar chassis (coughs) i would say not a chance the (coughs) the thing that scares sanctioning bodies more than anything i believe when it comes to car design and rules are movable things things that can move on the car and something like a moving steering column uh, a moving anything like this i'm just saying that at least with what we do that is not just strict road racing but all the ovals big and small and in between crazy forces and loading and just right this just strikes me as something where indycar will look at and go ah it's really cool there's no chance it is ever 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 no never ever ever getting onto one of our cars could i be wrong of course i'm wrong about 50 times a day but this just strikes me as a wow that's cool And we're going to talk about the one year where it was used by one team in F1. 
And then they said, yeah, that pushing and pulling thing on the steering wheel and it moving the this and the whole, yeah, that's no, not going to happen. So, yeah, uh, I wish, but no. Uh, Ryan Terpstra never must be a first time question submitter. Never heard of this guy before. Hey, MP, a bunch of those air quote third tier racing news sites have been popping into my feed with air quote Alonzo could do more races articles. Uh, McLaren CEO Zach Brown loves talking to the media. How is it possible that nobody has nailed them down for good comment on this yet? And what have you been hearing? Well, time for a hashtag breaking exclusive scoop. Not really, but here we go. Um, yeah, so a couple things that I know. The good folks at Spam, Schmidt Peterson, Aero McLaren, also known as Aero McLaren SP. This is something they're just not wanting to broadcast yet. Uh, we're told it's not done yet. It's not done yet. You know, still looking for a sponsor. It's, uh, okay. Would just say this, Ryan, and thanks for finding the show, by the way, and submitting something here. Um, there's a practice that some of you may know about in media, and it is trying to not shoot your load of information all at once. And so in announcing that Fernando Alonso will be driving the number 66 Chevy at in practice and qualifying for the Indianapolis 500 with the team, uh, not mentioning that there's a really high probability he'll also be doing the Indy GP, which is the thing that I heard from the outset, and saving that for a follow-up release. Just, frankly, it makes for a good media hit practice. Hey, instead of throwing it all into one release, give yourself a chance to get multiple forms of exposure for your team, for your sponsors. Uh, you can show those metrics to those sponsors. See, there's kind of nothing. It was just, you know, on idle. And then, boom, here's a big spike. And these things have value. I don't know if I would say monetary value in a real measurable way, Ryan, but something where when you're looking to show sponsor A, B, and C that look at the multiple times that we got exposure for you, this is a fairly common practice. I mentioned in the opening that uh, I spent time in physical therapy today looking through that long interview I did with Bud Denker. It's the same practice. You're going to get four or five or six, I don't know how many stories, out of my conversation with Bud instead of filing a 10,000-word piece, just a single piece that touches on everything. First of all, no one would read 10,000 words these days, but regardless, it's the same mindset of, hey, we've got a bunch of things that can be packaged into bite size uh, opportunities. And if those generate traffic, generate views and eyeballs, there you go. So I'd say that's probably the reason that you haven't heard anyone pin uh, the leadership down. Fernando, I did finally re go through the quotes that were generated and shared by the team and there was one second about that about him basically acknowledging that hey it'd be good not to show up cold and it'd be nice to warm up a little bit and i did have asked for clarification on that quote block because it, there was a mistranscription if that's a word 
and I sent that to the team and said, could you listen back to the audio and whatever you transcribed? And so they're trying to get the audio to listen back to correct what Fernando said, because it didn't really read correctly. So once we get that, we can take that and put turn that into a story. I think what you might have seen is other outlets. I don't know if they were third tier or not. Another thing, which some of you may know, I don't really read anything on other sites. Um, they may have just grabbed that quote block sent out by the team and run with it. Um, I can tell you this. Before the Fernando Alonso, I'm going to go with what I was going to say, Anonzo, Fernando Anonzo. <laughs> I'm taking a sip of beer. If I'm going to talk like I'm drunk, damn it, I better get at least partway there. Before the Alonzo announcement, before any communication with McLaren, before anything, anything, I had heard, A, knew that it was coming, but had also heard, hey, he's also, it's, you know, pretty much a done deal that he's going to do the Indy GP as well. And so I think I wrote the primary news story of, hey, he's doing the Indy 500. And then I think it was passed off to other members within the racer team to do follow-up stuff. And I think that might be coming sometime soon, but it appears that other outlets have just gotten to it sooner. But bottom line, I've heard that at minimum he's doing the Indy GP, and that would be pretty darn cool. Uh, let's see. We're going to go to Eric Franklin. This MP looks like I might have a business trip that allows me to get to St. Pete for Sunday. No tickets available in turn one and 10. Any good general admission positions for viewing the race? Yes, absolutely, Eric. Now, I will ask to not hold me super accountable for everything I'm about to mention here, but I've never been in any of the grandstands. So I can't tell you how good they are or aren't or what you're missing out on. I can only discuss the things that I see as a photographer walking around and at times getting into places where uh, you wouldn't be able to. But I can tell you that from the inside of the circuit, there appear to be a number of really good places you can walk and go and see and enjoy. Now, little admission here and... I guess it is an excuse that I'm offering, and it's a lame excuse, but it is true. I go to enough tracks each year and have gone to enough tracks in my lifetime where I struggle with some to remember the exact turn numbers just when I'm not at the event and actively looking at track maps and knowing that I'm going to go to turn six and shoot here or there. So, I apologize that I can't give you the corner numbers at St. Pete, but I'll just say at the far end of the circuit uh, where they, let's see, they go through turn one, turn two, go down the long straight, then they make the right, then it kind of curves around to the left, they go under a bridge, back in that area, the back 40, on the inside, there's some really cool stuff. And you can see them flying through, breaking. If you are a photography enthusiast, bring a camera because you can get some cool kind of blurry stuff through the fences, through the trees. And you get to see them work in the car a lot. 
you get to see some really cool car control. And then as they make the final right out of that little hairish pin type uh, 90 degree right, then the other 90 degree right going on to the back straight. Uh, there are some pretty good sideways moments. There are people that smack the wall. You can walk around back there and see some good stuff. If you go back towards, again, I apologize, behind the main grandstands on the front straight, um, the corner at the end of the long back straight where you make the left, uh, there's some good kind of general admission viewing in there because I see people standing there all the time. The views do seem pretty darn cool looking out onto the harbor. And if you can go over the bridge towards turn one, assuming again passes and, you know, I don't know all that stuff, but um, if you can get over in that area, uh, there also tends to be some pretty cool stuff that you can see kind of sort of. I don't want to go too hard saying that you're going to see a bunch of great stuff there because it might be covered off by some stuff. I don't know. But I do know that it's a surprisingly friendly street circuit. I would not say the same about Long Beach, for example, Eric. Uh, Boy, if you aren't in a grandstand seat, you aren't seeing a whole bunch. So St. Pete's actually look a bit different. A fair amount of folks walking around at all times, and I really, really like that. So please show up. Uh, This question here, I wanted to get this towards the front of the show. Chris Hoffman says, MP, has the coronavirus had any impact on IndyCar, and what's the potential impact, if any? This, my friend, has been asked by many people to me over the last, week and i'm sure many other reporters and all kinds of folks this is the unfortunate how long is a piece of string question where there's no answer because there is no length of string string is string you cut it to however long it is that's what you got there's no real answer to that hypothetical question and we have the same thing here we have seen very limited impact by the coronavirus, at least here. We read about it nonstop. It floods the airwaves all day long. Uh, it seems like the world is being taken over by death. It isn't. But this is something more importantly that is stoking massive fear. So the reality of the coronavirus outbreak, based on everything that I read, there's not, a nece- there's not necessarily an alignment with the, the impact it's having versus the perceived impact that it is having. Why does that matter? There could be no cases whatsoever within a 50 or 100 mile radius of St. Petersburg here in a week and a half or so. There could be nothing within 200 miles. Again, I don't, I'm just saying there could be nothing whatsoever to give any impression that anything and anyone anywhere in the area of St. Petersburg has contracted the virus or that it is a problem whatsoever. But the fear, the silos of fear uh, being just 
drummed up nonstop <laughs> every day. If you do nothing other than just watch cable news, listen to radio, listen, whatever, uh, you might get the impression that the world is about to end if you go outside. And so that's the thing that, when I say scares me, Chris, I don't mean truly scares me. That's the thing that has me bummed out in Californian ease. We have a situation where, as we probably many of you read, 38% of Americans say they won't drink Corona beer because they fear that there's some link to the coronavirus. We as a people are not always as smart as we should be. So this is just fear, panic-related fear that is not rooted in knowledge, common sense, anything whatsoever. That's the thing that has me worried that there could be no problems whatsoever, but the fear, it would be a thing that says, I'm not going there. I'm not going to be around 10,000, 30,000, however many thousand people. Um, that's the thing we're having to contend with, Chris. So that's a very different thing than the question, though. To my knowledge, there would be no reason for IndyCar to cancel any races at this point or to plan contingencies. And what if this gets canceled? What do we do here? What do we do there? Everything that we've heard so far as of today says that we're not dealing with a pandemic could this change in a week or a month or who knows? Could there be the worst outbreak ever in Leeds, Alabama that would make the barber race have to be called off? Maybe. I Again, had someone else ask, does IMS have a contingency plan in place for the 500 uh, as a result of the coronavirus? And again, I'm just trying to be honest here like <laughs> how long is a piece of string man like we don't have a problem we don't know if it's going to be a problem we don't know how it would impact us if it were to impact us in this sport that we love therefore how could we possibly have a contingency for what we haven't experienced don't know if we're going to experience or anything else and so that's the reality. Could things get canceled out of fear that there could? Possibly. Could things get canceled because a racing series like IndyCar hears from enough fans, ticket buyers, and whatnot? Hey, do you have a, a return policy? I want to send my tickets back. I'm not going to go to this race, even though I haven't heard about the virus in my area. I'm not going to risk it. So can I get my money back? If these things happen, if this panic continues, if this belief that if you go outside, the boogeyman's going to get you, you know, that's the thing that has to be managed. I know that I reached out to one racing series in the U.S. today. They said that they have a meeting tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning, uh, and it will be a very comprehensive discussion on this topic, and there should be news to follow on how they're planning to handle it. I reached out to IndyCar today, did not hear back to ask the same thing just because it's becoming 
a question that's just getting fired in constantly and totally understand. So make, make no mistake, not questioning folks curiosity about this. There just seems to be a bit of a disconnect of until there's a full blown problem or outbreak or something in an area that we would go. I don't know what kind of impact this might have. We can assume the worst case and what might happen. But if this gets to that place, I am positive we're going to hear some news on how it would be handled. And if those races would be canceled altogether, run at a later date, we're just in that. How long is a piece of string phase? There's no answer to this because we haven't gotten to a point to where there's a true problem that needs solutions to be offered for us to hear. And that was a sip of coffee that I just took at 12.08 a.m., which is not smart, but I did it anyways. Uh, We're going to go to Brian Kroll, who says, MP, I'm a loyal listener and attended your two live shows here in Portland. Thanks, Brian. He says, but this is my first time submitting a question. Well, please submit more. He says, I'm curious about the status of George Michael Steinbrenner in the Harding Steinbrenner Racing Program. I noted that the team changed their logo on their Facebook page uh, back to just the Harding Racing, and the website for the team has not been updated anytime recently. He asks, is young Mr. Steinbrenner still involved with the team and or IndyCar? Best of you and yours. Thank you, Brian. Um, Yes, 100%. He is indeed very involved in the Harding Steinbrenner Andretti Herda Honda Kerbagajanian Marco Andretti. Um, Yeah, he is indeed part of the ownership matrix of Colton's car. So that's all good there. I would say that for what has happened here and the reason you might be seeing some old or, or unmodified things, I would guess is because it's now a full and dready autosport entry, all their PR, all their everything. Uh, the car itself. I mean, truly the entire organization is now inside and ready autosport and managed and run by them a hundred percent. So, could be a case of some of the legacy things like website and facebook page and whatever maybe have been modified a bit uh, or untended but if you look at the andretti site i'm sure you will find everything you need about young mr herta and that program so yeah uh george michael steinbrenner is indeed part of that whole thing like that kid by the way uh, Kevin Perez Frederico says, Marshall, any talk by the Penske group of working on having better Wi-Fi signals at IndyCar events would definitely benefit the series at more remote tracks and have the fans be able to access more as well as share more content on their social media. Um, no. Uh, is this a problem that you have found, Kevin? Or is this just something you're supposing is a problem? Again, I don't know. Um, Because you say on having a better Wi-Fi signal. So, again, I assume that's based on experience. Uh, It wouldn't be a crazy thing to suggest, knowing that, obviously, they 
have the ongoing link to Verizon. But yeah, uh, this would seem to be something that would be smart for them to sell as a to find a sponsor and sell as the official such and such you know mobile Wi-Fi solution provider. I don't know the infrastructure needed behind that, since if we talk about the tracks that they go to, uh, really, except for that Indianapolis Motor Speedway type joint, um, you know, they're in other people's houses when they go racing, and the infrastructure at those tracks is not something IndyCar is responsible for. You know, the Wi-Fi here could be good or bad or whatever. Um, Could there be some sort of conflict right keeping in mind that you know maybe portland has whatever wi-fi or mobile provider something as the official provider of the that track services i know that there are some tracks that i go to i think laguna seca is one that stands out uh where you can buy high speed wi-fi while there that's a profit center for the track would this be a conflict of some sort if indycar had their own infrastructure that a service provider brought in and to do exactly what you mentioned again i don't know could that be part of a contract negotiation i assume so but might need to hear a little bit more about boy at this place it's garbage and that place it's garbage and you know if this is i'm not talking there's three tracks uh out of the 16 we go to that are problematic i'm saying if half of where we go to is an issue on this front i'd say they would certainly want to look into it but without the numbers to suggest that i'd say it's kind of a random thing that probably isn't anywhere close to top of their priority list uh let's go to log pile 98 says marshall on a recent episode you hinted that there were talks between a team and a well-known person outside of indycar with the possibility of a deal coming together one that you said would be fantastic to see happen Curious here, by the way, did I say a well-known person or entity? Because those are different things. Entity could be a team, could be a company, could be a lot of stuff. Uh, says, I have to ask, is it Jimmy Johnson? I understand that it may be too early to say anything, but damn, that would be cool. Uh, that wasn't who I was referring to, but let's just say that when Jimmy Johnson was at spring training... He was there at the request, invite, you name it. He was there as a guest of Zach Brown. Uh, Obviously, Jimmy was part of a Formula One NASCAR swap involving the McLaren team and uh, some good marketing and promotion stuff done years ago. But, uh, yeah, uh, while there, presented Zach with a custom, one of his race-used helmets. Um, Yeah. I'm not saying another team couldn't try and get something done with Jimmy, but I would say that, boy, if he were to want to do some IndyCar races and he said he doesn't want to do the ovals um, and he's a Chevy guy and Spam is a Chevy team and the guy halfway, half in charge of that team is the CEO of McLaren and he and Jimmy are super good pals. And Jimmy shows up to IndyCar test at Zach's invite and brings him like a really awesome gift. I don't know. I'd say that might put spam in pole position. 
uh, if he were to come and play with us next year. Uh, Jeremy Davis, hey pal, he says, uh, as a lifelong Hoosier and indie resident, I've always wanted and wished for Smoke, Tony Stewart, to come back to open a wheel in IndyCar as a driver owner. He says, with it mostly these days being in the owner route, he says, as he's still in an ownership with Gene Haas and NASCAR, Gene's F1 team is mediocre at best. Do you think Gene would ever pull the plug in the F1 program and move to IndyCar? He says, the reason I ask is Tony and Gene could be co-owners in NASCAR and IndyCar. Also, Indy's looking at adding another engine manufacturer. He says Ford is their supplier in NASCAR. Uh, he says Ford may have back from Penske, who has Ford and NASCAR, and Haas Stewart. I uh, think this would be more logical in all parties. Just curious if you see any of that, any of these ideas have been kicked around or it's even a real chance of happening. I would say no. I have heard zero from Tony or Tony's people. Not like I'm crazy plugged in to him, but uh, I just, I've heard nothing about this. Gene Haas, I don't know. He just, yeah. There is a good business reason for him to be in Formula One that appears to be working. I get all of that. Uh, I don't get him. I get the NASCAR stuff, uh, the f- doing Formula One. I understand the reason for it, but he just seems to really. There's a bit of a there's a bit of Hollywood to the attraction that I get from him on this kind of stuff. Hey, wow, Formula One. Um, it just strikes me as odd and it's this weird thing that i get of well nascar is as american as can be and it's real formula one is european and it's just really tantalizing and sexy indycar ah, you know yeah it's that kind of pooping on your like proudest oldest tradition thing like yeah whatever stupid well not stupid parallel but real parallel so one of my favorite musicians ever is the late jazz just all-timer miles davis and of the many things that he said that were poignant it was how going to europe france in particular paris in particular Uh, but London as well, but going to Europe really allowed him to see the appreciation for jazz music that was never bestowed upon it and him, but upon the art form at home where it was born. Like, it's really about our our only original art form, jazz music. It was just sad, and he said that was sad as well, that... It took going somewhere else to really see how much it was appreciated because at home it's just taken for granted. Like, yeah, cool, that's the thing, whatever. Um, I just get that same vibe here with Gene and IndyCar. And since, obviously, Tony's made good money, but uh, Gene is certainly the dollar guy, um, I just wouldn't see how this would play out in IndyCar. I just I don't think they believe it's big time enough. They're in NASCAR, which is already the biggest in North American motor racing. So the fact that Gene said, well, there's only one step higher. F1, let's go do that. And he's done that. Let's go to Gary Chin. 
uh, as I take a sip of my beer here at the right time. It says, I was looking at my old Bobby Ray Hall, Miller Genuine Draft, IndyCar posters, and thought about what Bobby said in your podcast a few months ago. Why aren't there any beer sponsors in IndyCar? Has IndyCar been trying, or has the beer sponsorship just tapped out? Hey, that's a good pun. Come back to something that I mention on a semi-regular basis, Gary, and it's if a company sees value in sponsoring a sport or a car, they will. That part's the duh answer. The reason I mention that is we've had this happen before. As you rightly mentioned, the MGD car and the this car and the that car, they've all been here. They've all sponsored indie cars at some point in time and I think really reaped some very solid benefits from it. We haven't seen them for a while. We haven't seen a lot of big companies for a while, and that's because the same amount of people aren't showing up to the racetracks. The TV ratings aren't what they once were. Uh, the very basic, am I going to go out on a date with you? Am I going to consider marriage? <laughs> the, the very basic things that lead someone to say, I'm not even going out on a first date with you. Man, you are a mess. Or, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm considering getting back with my old so-and-so. We broke up 10 years ago. Let me get back. Ooh, ooh, what the heck happened to you? Um, I just say this is the thing that continues to stand out. This is the thing that we all point to Roger Penske and his team and hope gets fixed. This is the Achilles heel of IndyCar more, more than anything else. It's not the cars. It's not the, the, there's none of that. It is not enough people show up to the races. Not enough people watch the races. Those are the two things that MGD or any other company is going to look at and say, do we believe that you have enough of an audience at your events and tuning in by Nielsen rating metrics to justify our participation in what you do. And I hate to say it, but in many instances, we just aren't there anymore. And so that's the thing we're hoping to fix as new advertising campaigns get rolled out, as hopefully more manufacturers, auto manufacturers come in, bring advertising dollars, bring awareness to the series, bring more fans to the seats, more eyeballs on the TV, Again, you can say, well, but if they change this, that would, you know, the aero screen, that's going to hurt. And if they went to this, and if the motors had a million horsepower, and if they bring back this and go back to that, like, I get all that. Times have changed a bit. Uh, again, I'm overstating the obvious. Auto culture, racing culture ain't what it once was. We're trying to keep it. We're trying to inspire younger generations to care. Once we get to a point where an MGD, I mean, nothing against MGD, but I'm just saying there are better beers, but regardless, an MGD or a Corona 
would look at the series and go, yeah, we'll give you five million bucks or seven or eight million bucks for your entry because we see that being a part of this series and being on your car with your driver, uh, we forecast this to return 10 million, 12 million, 14 million in advertising value. It's simple as that. You won't find a sponsor that says, oh, so if I give you $6 million, great, and based on our projections, we're going to get $6 million back, well, that's a wash. Uh, that's probably not worth doing. But if you can show us that we're actually going to get a greater return on investment, then let's talk. So, again, Gary, to me, it's just this really simple simple thing that we need to fix if it is fixable been trying to fix it for a long time man more people more viewers more money less people less viewers less money let's go to reed ruthenberg who says hey marshall what do the truck drivers do during a race weekend do they just hang out or do they play a different role with the team on the weekends like mechanic or catering as always keep up the good work thank you reed well that, too, is a bit of a how long is a piece of string question because there's so many answers to it. We have truck drivers who spot. We have truck drivers. Pretty common for them to get involved on the tire side. Uh, some sort of tire management, running tires back and forth to Firestone. And this is, frankly, across other series as well. Um, mechanic not so so much but that can happen uh, some truck drivers are a little bit in the hospitality general caring for and maintenance and upkeep role uh, where you know if it's under the tent making sure that everything is stocked and clean and mechanics have everything they need this section over here is orderly if you know, if it's catered or if it's going and grabbing lunch, bringing that and doing those kinds of things. So it really is a very different answer from team to team where sometimes it is directly hands-on race crew type stuff. Sometimes it is more being a little bit of the den mom, looking after everything and everybody and making sure things are clean and everyone's fed and happy. Uh, sometimes you see them up top, you know, uh, with the headset on doing spotting. So definitely varies from team to team. Uh, let's go to our pal, Nick Dovniak. Hey, Nick. It says, MP, who do you think is a longer trip back to the podium? Foyt and IndyCar or Williams and F1, both are long and storied teams that have seen a huge decline in recent years. Well, if we look at our man, Mr. French Fry, Mr. Bourdais, uh, and the fact that he keeps going quick like a bunny with uh, Mike Pawlowski and uh, Mike Colliver as uh, engineers on the number 14 AJ Foyt Racing Chevy, I would say that is the that's looking like a sneaky sneaky entry in the first couple of races since Seb will be doing what uh, St. Pete Barber and Long Beach then coming back for Portland. Uh, there, I would say, is a much better percentage chance of them being on the podium um, with the Seb Mobile in those one of those four races than Williams. 
and I think George Russell's an awesome draw. Like I really like that kid. But so many teams have to fail for Williams to get a sniff of a podium. Yeah, uh, I could see it just being more of a legitimate thing at St. Pete. Seb qualifying, you know, fast six or eighth or something like that, and you know, getting onto the podium or Long Beach. Uh, let's go to Lance Sniner. Hey, Lance MP. Who is going to dislike you more by the end of the month of May? The current champs of hating MP, AJ Foyt Racing? Or the contenders at Spam? Hashtag me personally, the folks at Spam are going to see so much hashtag Spam fart that they're going to go nuts. <laughs> ah, Lance, I love you. Well, did I, get, did I mention to you guys that I got a text from Larry Foyt? couple of weeks ago my wife and i are sitting in freaking chemo and uh get a text from larry like hey what is this thing i'm seeing on social media about uh us hating you or something and i said well it's you know playful but uh, it's just me mentioning on the podcast that you guys say is just a source of venom and hatred towards you uh that you know all i hear back is you guys hate me and you won't answer, you know, you guys won't pick up any of my calls or whatever else. So it kind of adds up to like, uh, clearly I'm the most hated guy. And anyways, you know, got a text back saying, well, hate's a strong word. And, you know, and I'm not making fun of Larry at all. I'm just saying, I, I was just reading it. it. You know, didn't say no. <laughs> just suggested that hate was a strong word and didn't think that I was always fair to them. And I'm like, fair enough, man. I mean, that's, no, that's how these relationships often work right it's not like everybody loves one another um it's not as if everyone agrees i don't think i'm unfair to them i think i'm just painfully honest uh maybe the most painfully honest but maybe i'm too honest on too frequent of a basis maybe that's you know maybe their perception is a hundred percent correct maybe it isn't i don't agree but i who knows you know uh, that doesn't mean they're wrong. just means we might not agree on this topic. So I don't know. Um, I do love Larry, though. He's just a supremely good person. Uh, but all that aside. I don't know. Because there's, it's just going to be a tough, it's going to be a tough thing. Right? We've got Charlie Kimball in the number four Chevy. And I hope he has a good year. Who doesn't? Chuck's a great guy. I don't know if they're going to. Uh, Dalton Kellett, managed by Darren Manning, by the way. How did I not know that? Apparently he's managed him for like five years. Little did I know. Um, I really liked Dalton as a kid. That's also the worst thing to be the first thing to say about a race car driver. Oh, he's a really nice guy. You know, Tony we know that he can drive the heck out of a motor racing vehicle. It sounds like the mics are doing great work with Seb. So could that, should that hopefully pay off on the ovals with him? I hope so. I, I don't know. It's, I can't say good things about Dalton. If he's going slowly, I'd love to say great things about him. If he's going quickly, if Charlie has a, you know, qualified 14th here and finished 13th here and, well, okay, uh, it's not a lot different than what we've seen, so I hope that he goes better, but you know, I, I'm just committed to be honest. 
And that's probably going to lead to me being hated by Foyt if things don't go as well as they want. But it'll be more highs than just feeling like I'm dumping on them. Because we do think Seb's going to do some good things. And I think Tony's going to do some good things. Uh, as for Spam, I actually have a really good relationship with those folks. So, you know, uh, I've been very surprised to close Lance that I haven't gotten the, could you cut it out with the Spam stuff? in the spam fart stuff they haven't so i'm just gonna keep riding it there we go uh we're gonna go to Cade fulling who says mp to fill the time during the way too long indycar off season i've been watching a ton of old indycar races on the youtubes he says it's incredible to go back and watch all these old races mostly from before i was born in 1994 especially the indy 500s I'm adding a little emphasis to this, Kate, and I'm just it's making me laugh just because, yeah, those really old races, and I'm going like, fuck, I was there for all of them. Um, uh, anyways, the thing that really struck me as I was doing some of this was some of the badass driver lineups from years past. 93-94 really stood out to me as an incredibly stacked field from Mario Andretti, Nigel Mansell, Michael Andretti, Emerson, Fittipaldi, Al Jr., Paul Tracy. The list goes on. So my question is, what years stand out to you as having the best driver lineups? Is there one that you would consider to be the best? Oh, you say thanks again to you and continued prayers for you and your wife as always. Thank you, Cade. You got you got a great point here. There are some phenomenal stretches. There's there's this weird dynamic that makes it hard for me to answer this specifically, Cade, because if you're talking brutal competition, you know, fast forward to 98-99 and it I mean, come on. <laughs> it is just sick how good the drivers were on average i would have to say if we're talking the best in terms of overall competence and quality we're in it right now truly i'm not saying that just because you know maybe it might sound like a cop-out i know i've never seen a more skilled grid of drivers from the person in first place to last place than I have over the last couple of years. It is right. I mean, there's not a lot of weak members to take off the board. Like it's almost perfect. Again, you can pick at, of course you can pick at some not saying that it is perfect, but the amount of weakness, if we're talking weakness compared to greatness, the ratio is like, so massively skewed towards greatness this is where things just get a little bit hard if we go back to you know as you mentioned 93 94 there's a different dynamic the density of the legends is greater than it is today or what we will look back on if you take 93 the fact that we had Mario Andretti and Nigel Mansell reigning F1 world champion as teammates, plus PT, Michael, on and on, right? At the time, as it was happening, Bobby Rahal, 
so on, right? As it's happening, Danny Sullivan, as these seasons are happening, we are actively aware of the fact that we are seeing all-time greats. You know, if not all-time greats, then there were right behind them, you know, heroes and legends. We were actively aware that we were watching this year after year going, look at these names. AJ in there as well. We were aware that, oh my goodness, this, you know, this is the living Hall of Fame on track and the next generation behind them with the Michaels and Little Owls and so on. Wouldn't say that across the board, once you got past, you know, about 10th place uh, on the grid, 12th place, yeah, it started to get pretty weak. You know, there's... So that ratio of like, oh my goodness, amazing, amazing to eh, today, the the strength to weakness ratio is just so far heavily tipped in the strength side that we're nitpicking. So just say, Cade, what we have today, we need to recognize the overall, the average level of talent is at a place that just, it's never been seen. What we don't have, though, is that same feeling of a density of Hall of Famers, heroes, and legends in our midst. We can look at Scott Dix, and that's easy. Four, five-time champ, Indy 500 winner. We look at Bourdais, four-time champ. Okay, got it. We can look at Kanon. We can look at Hunter Ray. We can look at Pagano and power and we can you know add some more names to this and go wow you know indy 500 winners champions some of them both champions and indy 500 winners they're phenomenal skill wise i'd put them ahead of quite a few of the heroes and legends from past eras as well in a you know in a 200 lap race oval road course whatever I got to admit, you know, it's different eras. That's where it makes it hard to compare. But, you know, the we're stacked with talent today. But this isn't something where I go to the races going, oh, my goodness. You know, the, we're living in the midst of all-time legends and heroes because there isn't that same buzz about them. That's what, that's what I'm left with. Nathan Bart. As we get down to the last couple of questions for the evening before I say good night. Why? Well, it's a 12.39 a.m. Marshall, if you could pick any circuit and race length for IndyCar to run on, regardless of safety concerns, what would you pick that you would think would be the most interesting or spectacular? Hmm. Part of me wants to say Road Atlanta. Having seen LMP1s going a zillion miles per hour there. But uh, some of the track is too narrow where it would be a lot of lead and follow uh, instead of big passing opportunities. That's going to push me to say Virginia International Raceway. 
there too there's some kind of single lane stuff but the and the granted you know we're going to just pretend that it, it safety standards are, are up to indycar grade at the speeds we're talking but vir is and has been you know i've mentioned vir a number of times when similar questions like this come up vir for i don't know how many laps but whatever just a standard length indy car hour 45 ish hour 50 minutes um i think it would be insane the speeds and commitment necessary Uh, Nathan, I mean, they would have to build like bomb shelters for fans to be in at some of the on either side of the track in some stretches, because if a car went off there, like, I mean, it would look like an outer space frickin explosion hitting the moon just Watching GT cars, just IMSA's mid-tier speed vehicles, even the lowest-tier GT Daytona, the GT3 base cars, watching them float through some of the high-speed twisty bits, it is gravity-defying, physics-defying type stuff, and comparing we're talking a freaking 2600 pound whatever you know big porky slow gt car an indy car full attack mode on firestone reds and qualifying eh, uh, it, it just it makes no sense and that's why i want to see it uh, obviously all the safety improvements necessary put in there's a lot of places where you mess up, you go off, you cut a tire, anything, and you're sailing on the grass, so you're not really slowing down much, and then you are just mollywhopping something hard. But yeah, that to me would be something where I think drivers would get out of their cars after qualifying. I think for that race, IndyCar would implement a new rule just for vir post qualifying but maybe even the race i don't know uh basically a 10 minute delay rule where it says nobody crew included can talk to drivers for 10 minutes after they pull in and come to a stop because they're going to need to finish saying the prayers that they were saying the entire time they were on track they're going to need to try and remember their name, what year it is, who the president is. They're going to need to try and clean up the barf or the whatever, just their body rejecting everything inside of it, trying to get out because the fight or flight responses are so extreme. Uh, just leave them alone. They might just be crying. Just give them time. I don't know. That's what I envision IndyCar qualifying would be like at VIR because knowing what it takes to do a qualifying lap in a GTD car and how white knuckle wide eyed. Oh my God. I almost touched the face of the Lord. 
type reactions you get. I can't even imagine, Nathan, what it would be like in an IndyCar. So that's why I want to see it. And, of course, it's easy for me to say that because I'm not in one of them. Uh, Derek Bartoshek. Hey, Marshall, do you think a doubleheader of F1 and IndyCar would work? With IndyCar as a support race for the Formula One weekend. Or do you think IndyCar would shy away from this idea? Perhaps mainly due to the direct speed comparisons it would draw from the same fans watching both go around the same track. Hashtag me personally, I think it would be a great way to help grow the series internationally and get more eyeballs on and outside the U.S. and Canada with open-wheel fans. With the high ticket prices to attend F1, I'm sure the cost could be covered. IndyCar at Silverstone, Spa, or Monza, yes, please. Um, I love the idea of IndyCar going to Silverstone, Spa, or Monza. Uh, the IndyCar show up and be the stepson of F1? I Would that make any sense to you? Hey, you've got a product you're trying to sell. Why don't you show up and intentionally look less important? I I don't know. I don't know how that would make sense uh, from a brand standpoint. Would just share this idea. I don't. I know that everybody comes into the sport at different times. So as I mention every now and then when i write a story i have to do my best to remember the person reading this might have just learned about indycar yesterday truly yesterday so i'm gonna i can't get too inside baseball so saying that i realize that for some folks like they might be newish to indycar maybe newish to f1 don't know the full context not saying that's you derek i don't know I will just share that IndyCar Racing, Indy 500, been around since 1911. It's been, the Indy 500 has been one of the world's recognized two greatest races. Not the Daytona 500, not the Monaco Grand Prix, highly prestigious both, but the two greatest races recognized, acknowledged by everyone, that has been around enough to know these things. And there's often arguments about which one is the greatest Indianapolis 500, 24 hours of Le Mans. So we have a series that's been around for more than 100 years known throughout the world, populated by international drivers hailing from Brazil, hailing from France, hailing from Japan, hailing from England, hailing from all over the place. Sweden, we have Australia covered, we have New Zealand covered. We have a lot of places covered. I would say that awareness of IndyCar, not really a big issue. The only thing that really separates IndyCar is it's not an international series. Formula One reaches everywhere throughout the world. Therefore, not a surprise, has a lot more fans. It goes to people's homes. Ours kind of sort of stays in our own locale. So with that said, would IndyCar ever benefit from joining an F1 weekend? It could, but I think for the wrong reasons for what F1 might think. 
if you were to ship the IndyCar series north to Montreal, for example, Circuit Gilles Villeneuve as the, quote, support race for F1, I realized the fans showing up would be there for F1, but I'm really, really, really confident that the best race of the weekend will be the IndyCar race because we tend to do pretty darn good at entertaining. Um, I don't see how F1 ends up looking good doing this. This is the reason why I don't think F1 would ever welcome such a thing. IndyCar is known for being fairly entertaining, and its drivers are super accessible, speak about the love of what we do. We don't try and have the same mystique as F1 where folks fans are kept at bay and at arm's length to create this false sense of demand and superiority and whatever eliteness we're just like nope we just love racing we're gonna go race hard we're gonna beat up on each other and we're gonna try and make some good memories for you so um i would say indycar is ours man it's this thing that's beautiful it's this thing that is us it's who we are uh this is maybe hopefully not sounding too ugly american but why would we take this thing that is us and ours and our history and our culture and bow our heads to be on an f1 weekend uh I, i mean i hate to say it but if we're talking here in the u.s you know if f1 really wants to make a greater impact They'd be smart to call us and come play with us. Um, I think they might find that the way we do things connects with fans in a really unique and different way. Um, so, yeah, uh, I would say that I don't believe there's an, a, much of an awareness issue for who we are and what we do. And especially, granted, this hasn't been great over the last year, but uh, live streaming being able to get this content on international cable or live stream, knowing that some of you like myself have VPNs and can set our home country and home, whatever is just about anything we want. Um, I don't see that there's an issue here that needs to be solved, but I do love the idea of us going to Silverstone spa or Moss Mazda. I'll just go with Mazda. That's my polished turd of a show. All right. Couple to close here. Kyle Kaufman, MP, just listen to the episode where you were struggling to name a great IndyCar movie. May I introduce you to Turbo? Cast includes Ryan Reynolds, Paul Giamatti, Samuel L. Jackson, Bill Hader, Snoop Dogg, and more. If it were serious, it would be terrible, but since it's geared towards the under 10 crowd, it's awesome. A true true favorite in our household. It's an interesting one. Kyle, I would not have thought of that as an IndyCar movie, although it is an IndyCar movie. Uh, just I guess because it was animated, so maybe that's dumb of me. I haven't watched it. Um, maybe I should. Let's go to I Need a Name, Please, from Reddit. Marshall, as you've mentioned many times in regards to Ricky Taylor's and Scott McLaughlin's test outings, Roger Penske doesn't do anything for no reason. What was the motive behind Brad Keselowski's IndyCar test at Road America a few years ago? So if I were really good at what I did here, I need a name, please. I would go and Google this. I didn't. I'm drawing a total blank on this, and I don't know why. And I actually read your question earlier today when I was a little bit more awake, and I still drew a blank. 
this might have just been some sort of gift or negotiated thing. Maybe a bet. Again, maybe, you know, if I win this, then I get that. That could be the only real answer that comes to mind on a thing that I'm not remembering, unfortunately. Uh, Let's go to Michael Mikowski. Hey, Michael. Not sure if I remember you sending in a question. If not, thank you for sending in your first. And if you have, I apologize for forgetting. MP, in a recent episode, you mentioned that race teams will contact race control during a race via the radio. I think I also said SMS. Uh, To report infractions, they think another team is committing. What are some of the more common infractions reported? What's the most egregious or ridiculous thing that you've heard of that's been called? Uh, Lastly, how is this tattletelling regarded by teams? Is it seen as an all's fair in love and war type of deal, or is it frowned upon? Well you get a couple of different things. Some of them, probably the majority of them, Michael, would be driver-reported items. Hey, would you please tell race control that the guy in front of me just did a thing they shouldn't have, you know, passed under a yellow or whatever it is, cut me off, drove me, did that short something. Most of what I hear and know of Michael is the driver using their crew to be the conduit for a message. So that's that. The other part is someone ran over our air hose. Someone hit this. Someone didn't do that. Hey, the refueler next to us had their visor up. Um, the Indy cars pit technicians, you know, their their pit referees tend to be pretty good at spotting these things. So these things often get reported right away by them, not leaving it to the teams to do a lot of the tattletelling. But, yeah, if they don't think that, well, how's this? Some teams don't really try and, oh, let me see, did this person get this? Let me ask and see and find out what might have been reported, and then I'll decide whether to act. What you do get a lot of times is, hey, they just ran over our tire. They just ran over our this. I don't know if you saw it, but I'm letting you know right now. Um, Or, hey, I just watched so-and-so refuel, like I said, with the visor up or the rear tires were spinning while the car was in the air. Name some of the things that are not allowed or come with a penalty. And those will get reported right away. And the hope is that there is action that negatively affects that entry. What we see happens more often is a monetary post-race fine, right? So-and-so drive-through penalty, your pit crew made this mistake. Uh, That isn't a thing we see too much, hear too much. It's often thousand bucks. You did this thing you shouldn't have, you were caught, um now the conversation of are you sure how did you see how do you know that usually doesn't come up if the team next to you saw it and reported it and then we looked and we watched the video and saw that yeah indeed you did do that thing and so that conversation tends not to take place but yeah those are more often than not the things it's drivers Uh, reporting in i'd say the vast majority but otherwise it is teams kind of going look 
Uh, David Pequeen. So we get down to our last three for the evening. Let me see where are we at on the clock. Yeah, we'll probably get past an hour and a half or so before we shut down here tonight. And then I'm going to really try and keep this to about two hours or less total. Um, when we add in the remaining questions that came in, David says, I got to experience Coda for the first time at the WEC race in February. And I'm excited to go back for IndyCar. I was wondering if you're aware of any support races planned for the weekend. He says, last year they had Indy Lights in the stadium super trucks, but neither of those series have Coda on their schedules with IndyCar. And I've been able to locate a 2020 IndyCar Coda event schedule so far. He says, is the potential lack of support series a result of moving the Coda date to avoid clashing with Sebring? Uh, I, that's a great question, David. And again, if I was better at my job, I'd preview all the questions and then do research on the ones that I need to. And uh, we'll admit that I just kind of was reading through most of them tonight for the first time here. I don't know. I Let's see. I would assume there's going to be stuff because it'd be really strange to have a race, a major race in just one series, but I don't know. So if I do learn... I will try and share that information here, maybe with you on the book faces. Uh, David, Tim Falkowitz, the fine person who puts together these questions for me each week. Marshall, you mentioned last week in the podcast that you still regret not buying that I Am Indie hat at the memorabilia show a few years back. Aside from that, what is your holy grail of IndyCar memorabilia? He says, for hashtag me personally, it would be a copy of The Beast book, autographed by Roger Penske. And a mini Paul Tracy helmet. Says, loved his helmet from the Marlboro in cool years. Well, I know a guy, Tim, who wrote that book, uh, my pal Jade Gers, and I also know Roger Penske. So I probably can make that happen for you uh, if need be. So, yeah, I'll make a little note here, and hopefully I won't forget. Um, let's see. Holy Grail. Wow. Where that's a little bit hard for me to answer, Tim, is from a allowance standpoint. So I love motor racing memorabilia. It fills half of my personal space in the office. But I have to limit myself. So I have a lot of scale models, but I don't buy many, if any, of them anymore. Because I could buy a thousand of them and never feel like I've gotten all the ones that I want. So it's a, if I don't keep this in check, then it's going to get ugly and I can't let it get ugly. Actually, I've bought, I think one model in the last 10 months. And it's just because I saw it and it was like, if I don't buy this now, they're all going to go and I really got to have it. And I don't have the money, but I'll try and pick up some extra work so I can afford it. Uh, cause not maybe a surprise, but we've been on pretty much the don't spend money on anything budget. Cause we're just money's flying out the door. Um, but I had to have that. And I uh, granted that that was a gift to myself. Um, beyond that, you know, there's so many things that I'd love to have. And I'm sure I could buy if I had the stupidity to place value on them in that manner. You know, some uh, All-American Eagle, IndyCar, 
bodywork piece or this or that. I mean, there are these things that I see or know that I could probably get my hands on that would cost thousands, tens of thousands. It's not like I've got that money, but I'm just saying, you know, could I sell all kinds of things to buy one of these items and have it and say, I have this thing that I covet and just stare at it? Like, <laughs> um, that's where I have to draw a line. So I, I don't mean for that to be a dodge in terms of an answer. Um, you know, the Holy Grail of IndyCar memorabilia would be, I don't know, something, a pair of goggles that Jimmy Murphy wore at some race at some point in time, or one of Dan Gurney's helmets, or, you know, I go on and on and on. Um, those things, but you know, those things would only happen if I had just had the kind of money that someone in a different profession in a more lucrative profession could afford. I don't know if you heard that that's Rocky. Who's currently jumping around chasing stuff now at one Oh one AM Jesus. Um, the stuff that I have, man, the, the things that mean the most to me are the things that I've been given. And funnily enough, many of those are from the Big Eagle himself. So he sent me some nice, really nice letters over the years. Uh, they're usually some form of thank yous for an article that we did that would be in Racer Magazine or Road and Track or something. Uh, just some like the signed cards from Dan Gurney. Like, I mean, come on. Um, those always stand out. Whenever I get asked this, I realize if you've heard this question asked and answered before, I'm, I'm going down familiar territory. But, you know, it's the same territory because the answer doesn't really change. Uh, what else? Yeah, I've, I mean, I've got some some books that mean a lot to me. Uh, you know, maybe the coolest piece of memorabilia that I have is one of my dad's old racing gloves. And it's from the 60s, clearly. I had both and lost one. Uh, let's see, I was leaving Genoa Racing, the Genoa Racing Indy Lights team. Left. I, I had them with me. I'd found them. This is maybe a couple of years after my dad died. I'd found them, had them. They're these just beautiful, like silky, I don't know how to describe them, but these are just glorious things. And I just, I don't know, I wanted to wear them uh, just like in normal life, not like out on the town, but just like while I was, I think, driving to work or whatever, just one of those weird things recently, you know, somewhat recently had lost my father, found this, you know, his racing gloves and just wanted to have something, wear something of his and somehow leaving Genoa, getting in the car. I don't know what I must have dropped one and didn't wear them home or for the drive home. Uh, the shop is in Novato near Sears point, AKA Sonoma raceway I was living on 1735 Funston Avenue in San Francisco and got home and went to grab the gloves and only found one and entirely crapped myself and drove all the way back, which, you know, at that time took more than an hour 
and looked around and couldn't find it anywhere. So I have no idea what happened to it. But that's probably one of the the coolest things that I have because uh, I don't have many of my father's possessions. Um, I have his hat that he wore all the time, a cowboy hat, since he's a boy from Marion, Arkansas, that he would wear to the races. Uh, what else do I have that stands out? Uh, bottle opener that uh the big eagle had made it's in the shape of the nose of his 1967 belgian grand prix winning eagle formula one car i think i don't remember how many of these they made 36 of them or something whatever the number um it's a bottle opener like shaped like the nose of this most glorious looking car ever i mean that showed up in the mail or not in the mail i mean you know ups or whatever and he just open it and go, what? <laughs> it's seen the light of day like twice. I mean, it, it sits in a little safe because, I mean, what? Um, it's just a lot of stuff like that. Honestly, Tim, uh, I have too much. I need to start selling this stuff because I we need the money more than we need me having things that amuse me. Uh, so, yeah. Um, once I start digging through this stuff again, um, maybe I'll try and throw out some better answers or some fresher answers. Finally, Ben Cohen. Hey, how you doing, Ben? Uh, continuing to send positive vibes and thoughts you and your to you and your lovely wife. Says, very much looking forward to the entire 2020 IndyCar season. If you had to explain each race and track in the form of a Rush song, what would each circuit be? Oh, you're killing me here, Ben. It passed one in the morning. The trees for Long Beach. Nah, the trees would certainly, certainly be. Uh, as I hear Rocky and Rosie fighting in the hallway. Uh, the trees would most certainly be Barber Motorsports Park. Uh, Tom Sawyer for Indy. Yeah, that's a good call. Um, all right. I got to do this because... It's just too many songs for me to possibly try and remember. And I'll see if I can come up with any answers to this at all, Ben. I fear I'm going to fail you. Uh, But, you know, fear is a powerful motivator. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Would we call the Indie GP Bastille Day now? Because uh, Simon Pagano having kicked off an amazing month of May in 2019 where we thought... He might be done at Penske. Um, and Bastille Day might have been awaiting the Frenchman uh, had he not gone on that amazing run in winning the GP and the 500. Maybe the Indy GP Bastille Day simply because of the Frenchman who won there. Um, what else? What else? Would the Indy 500 be distant early warning? Knowing that with double points, not as if the winner of the 500 is guaranteed to win the championship, but as we have seen, it propels the winner into the title fight if they weren't already or adds a significant gap to second place, leaving the 500. A bit of a distant early warning of who the champion might be or someone in the championship fight, so that might be an answer there. 
Uh, Circuit of the Americas. Uh, what am I going to find here? Big money. <laughs> Absolutely big money. Yeah, uh, goes around the world there. Uh, what else? What else? Long Beach, I would say, Ben. That uh, that has to be limelight, right? You know, uh, absolutely got to be with the Hollywood adjacent or somewhat close-ish Long Beach Grand Prix. That has to be limelight. Um, maybe we can pretend a stranger is a long-awaited friend. What else? What else are we doing here to close this part one? of what i'm doing and i think part two is probably not going to be too long when we wrap up the show uh where else i'll pick a couple more detroit what is detroit um man it ain't xanadu i'll tell you that uh i mean toronto is obviously yyz uh if, if if you're a rush fan or if you just know airport codes i don't have to explain that one um red sector a is detroit and I realize I'm naming off a couple of more, re, you know, 80s-ish type rush things here. What else? What else can we find here? Uh, would it be weird to say a farewell to Kings for Texas, knowing that the guy in charge of Texas kinds of thinks of himself as a king? That'd be an interesting one. What else? One or two more, I guess, maybe. I don't know. I feel like I'm about to fall asleep here, but I shouldn't. Uh, Closer to the heart, Road America. Right. It's a perfect fit. I realize Indy 500 is the traditional whatever home of our hearts for IndyCar, but really, really, it's Road America. It's Road America. And I think on that, we're going to have to... Oh, no, I found one more. Laguna Seca, Monterey Witch Hunt, for sure. With all of the ass hattery going on in recent years with who's going to run the track, who's not. You're hired, you're fired, you're the, right. It's got to be Witch Hunt, for sure. Um, all right, now here we go. I'm looking more and more. Cygnus X1 is my last choice. That's Portland. And if you don't know why, I don't know how I would explain that. So... All right, I'm going to say good night for the night. It's one twelve a.m. I've yet to hear from my wife that she's done uh, enjoying a lovely bath, hopefully soaking her very weary bones and muscles. But I'm going to say farewell for the evening. I'll be back tomorrow, and we will sprinkle in a few more questions, and then I'm going to let this episode fly once we are back from chemo. So thank you for listening so far. Back to you here in a moment. All right, we are picking back up later than expected. It is 11.31 a.m. on Wednesday since we stopped, I guess technically Tuesday morning. Had a little update here within the last hour or two. Our man Jimmy Johnson, recent subject of a question on the Q&A show. Uh, Jimmy Johnson has announced on the good old tweeters that he will be testing for the aero mclaren sp team next month at barber motorsports park so funny almost like the thing that was really obviously telegraphed at spring training is indeed going to happen so let's get into your final questions that have been sent in i think we got about five of them so we're going to go with our man simon Rafi to start 
says, in your recent interview with Bobby Rahal, he mentioned that back in the cart and champ car days, we had a new car each year. Teams would make recommendations to the manufacturers based on their experience. Is there any mechanism for doing such revisions to the current Delara, even though they are continuing with the same chassis? Mechanism? Sure. There are Delara representatives from managers to designers to engineers that show up at every race giving feedback about anything is certainly something that can be done and i'm sure is done less so we would have to imagine since the car is now what uh getting almost done with grade school and not too far away from uh, heading off to high school in terms of age so i don't think there's much left on that front we had the old days with multiple chassis in the field not only would you have the same scenario with engineers and managers and all kinds of good folks representing each constructor at each round but you would have something that we don't have today which is those folks either being semi-embedded with their teams or just constantly checking with their teams trying to help as well maybe on setup new things that they've learned, new things they've developed, then trying to work with those teams to help them to get the most out of those bits and pieces. Much closer relationships so that a team could say, hey, the way this fits, uh, is there something we can do to maybe rotate the insertion point of this bolt 15 degrees so it isn't clashing with another thing? or Just any of the practical items that would get learned, improvements, get passed on today would say it'd be not as if they wouldn't say that to delara but my guess is first comments simon would probably be to indycar's technical team good old rocket kevin blanche i'm sure has been the point person on many things of hey you see how this is chafing here or whatever it might be things that could be addressed or improved as new cars are built or new pieces are built. But not a lot, I would say, to think of in recent years, since the car's just been around for so long. Definitely, though, when we go to a new chassis, I am quite positive there will be a flood of comments going back that can be improved when they build more and more cars. Let's go to Nathan Wolfel. Hey there, Nathan. Says, hey, how does the chain of communication work on race day? What are the individual responsibilities of those on the timing stand? Nathan also says, how is information funneled? Who has the ability to communicate directly with the driver? This too is another area, Nathan, where each team has its own preferred methodology. So there is no single method I can describe. Popular way that things work, if we're talking timing stand, information, and also driver, if we're thinking maybe more in a race scenario. First thing to know is there is a really strong effort to minimize the amount of voices that can speak to the driver. I can tell you from past experience, having been yelled at by one driver in uh, the IRL back in the day when there was just too many of us 
trying to feed him information, actually getting yelled at. Uh, and the driver basically said, I only want to hear from this person and that person. Everyone else, shut up. And I had to had to respect that because he was right. We were just trying to be a little too helpful as a young team, and, yeah, we should have uh, not inundated young Mr. Greg Ray with too much information in his ears. Flow-wise, you'll have different channels. So the crew will have a communication channel among themselves. There's a lot of chatter, a lot of talk, a lot of information that goes back and forth among the crew that is not meant to be in the driver's ear, in you know the, the strategist's ear. They have their own channel. Crew chief is usually able to communicate directly to the timing stand. That would go to race engineer, strategist, and such. If we look at <clears throat> going to the driver, we would say, obviously, the engineer would be someone that is communicating, although that's not always the case. Mostly, but not always. Uh, some teams like to streamline things through one person. Uh, strategist, certainly, would be communicating. And then you have a spotter, depending upon the circuit we're at, knowing that not every circuit has uh, a need for a spotter to be there. So three people tends to be about the most that you're going to get going into a driver's ear. You tend to have the crew chief slash chief mechanic as the point person talking to those on the timing stand, knowing that even just in practice, engineer will call for a ride height change, could call for fuel level to be set at such these are more instructional items than say discussion or collaborative how's the car feeling what is it doing this change we made or the driver providing feedback some of these things are just strictly work list workload type items so again you aren't wanting the driver to have those things thrown into their ears knowing that they can often be having a separate discussion with someone so what we have today nathan is really something where it's pretty cool and with the ability to switch between multiple channels pretty easily you can pick and choose faster than ever a little bit different from back in my day where uh, for the majority of my time working on the team and crew side uh, it was having to look down at your radio and switch over to a different frequency uh, to do that and depending upon the money spent on the timing stand it was just more manual than technology driven being able to single out folks or include folks or whatever on the fly quickly and easily so yeah but bottom line your strategist your race engineer and your spotter tend to be the people restricted in speaking to the driver and then anything from the crew side tends to get funneled at least radio communication wise through the chief doesn't mean that those crew members couldn't walk up to folks on the timing stand and share information that happens just as much but they do from a who is talking over the airwaves try and restrict that fairly heavily let's go to brett ross (laughs) mp if you're to take one any car driver and make them do stand-up comedy who would you pick 
Oh, that's a great one. Uh, so what would the obvious thought be that probably a lot of folks uh, have in mind? Uh, Hinch, I, Hinch can be funny, but uh, he just has never struck me as a comedian, so probably wouldn't go there. Um, let's see. What else? What else? What else? Where else should we go here on, on choices? Uh, I mean, part of me wants to go, <laughs> part of me wants to just go Alexander Rossi. And I know that he's not the most extroverted person, but man, the guy just really sharp wit, amazingly observational. Like really, there's very little that he does not pick up on that doesn't strike him in some kind of way. And those are the things that tend to be uh, really core, core tenets of a quality comedian. So, I mean, Will Power stands out. Obviously, he's a bit insane. Uh, and that's just super kind of Mitch Hedberg stream of consciousness type stuff. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, but I would say Rossi, I think, would definitely make for a pretty amazing, amazing stand-up comedian. I think it might actually be something he enjoyed as well. So I could be a thousand percent wrong. And uh, but anyways, I look forward to axing him as soon as I get a chance. All right, we're down to we're almost done. Two to go. Cody DW12 says Marshall Kyle Kirkwood will be in Indy Lights for Andretti and took part in the Formula E rookie test for BMW Andretti in Marrakesh, placing fifth. However, it seems unlikely that Andretti would replace either the, either their two drivers in Formula E, considering that they are third and fourth in the championship currently and both have a win this season. He says in IndyCar, they have five full-time cars and a sixth part-time for Hinch and a technical partnership with Meyer Schenk. So from a fan's perspective, it seems like they're at capacity. So should Kirkwood continue his trajectory of winning darn near every championship he's in, does Michael Andretti feel the need to open up one of the seats for him by force, knowing that some drivers are in contract years? Does he let the proverbial winning lottery ticket sign elsewhere? Does he take the nuclear option and expand even further? Oh, uh, let's see. And he also adds, as always, best wishes to you and your wife, and then for weird places that the podcast has listened to, does a commercial marijuana farm ping on the weird scale? And he says, not hashtag me personally, but a, quote, business partner of mine's. Uh, that's an interesting one, Cody. Well, there's a lot of lot of if, maybe, but, could, might type stuff here. If Kyle wins the championship, and if he has the budget to graduate to IndyCar for a full season, not the handful of races he would do with that million-dollar prize, could Michael do this? I mean, I would say that, Oliver Askew, who just won the championship for him, is not driving for him. I would say that Pato Award, who was meant to be part of an affiliate program, having won the championship for him, is not driving for him. So I would not necessarily link Kyle's expected success and Indy Lights to Michael moving heaven and earth to include him. There's 
certainly some questions as to whether, say, Zach Veach will be back. We know that he would need to sign a new contract, an extension with Gainbridge to do so. That's up at the end of the year. Needs that to continue, obviously, for him to continue having a seat that's funded. And I think Kyle is going to be extremely good. Is he going to be better than Askew? I don't know because we haven't seen that yet. So what I would suggest for an answer, need to see what the year looks like before we know if Michael is going to be in a position saying, oh, I have to. I got to bin some people to have this kid. I am not aware of Kyle holding any interest in racing in Formula E. Only know that kid wanting to be in IndyCar. So I don't think there's anything on that front. Moving around the pieces or opening up seats for him in IndyCar. Again, uh, I think we would just have to assess where he's at. But most of all, will he have the money to do so? And no disrespect to any of the drivers at Michael's team, but Michael's not coming out of pocket to make sure that Brian Hunter Ray is an IndyCar driver or anyone else. Uh, There is business behind all of the seats, Uh, even his sons. There is business behind all of that. So if there's a business case, to keep Kyle, hold on to Kyle, along with the competitive reasoning, I would say, yeah, Michael doesn't like to turn away talent, but to your point as well, expanding beyond what they currently have, that could be a challenge. Now, could could we see a scenario with a Meyer Shank, as you mentioned, single-car team, Jack Harvey, they have no desire to race without Jack Harvey, could an affiliate like Meyer Shank possibly go to two cars and possibly accommodate? And all of a sudden we have a Harding Steinbrenner type scenario. That strikes me as something that could happen. Beyond that, though, I hate to say it, but we are needing to do a bit of waiting and seeing. It's up to Kyle, frankly, to make the case that this guy is a generational talent and we got to make him a part of our future beyond Indy Lights. Final question goes to the fake Robin Miller from Reddit. And this received about a million upvotes. So, uh, Marshall, suppose you're locked in a room and have a splitting headache and crippling diarrhea. Doesn't take a lot to suppose that. In order to leave the room to the sanctity of a toilet and aspirin, you have to endure a Neil Pert length drum solo from either Will Power or Colton Herta, who do you not choose to do the solo and why? Well, I love that this is aimed in a direction that forces me into a negative, right? Not the who would you choose and why, who would you not choose, so that we can hopefully have me pissing off somebody. So great, great question composition to steer this in a neg- in, in, towards a negative. That one is really easy to answer, though. Would not choose Colton Herta. Very two simple reasons. One, between the two, much less experience and willpower. But most of all, 
Colton's desirable music inspiration, the thing that feeds him punk aesthetic, right? Big fan of Black Flag, Bad Brains, you name it, lots of, I guess I was going to say old school punk, but original punk era stuff. And while I enjoy some of those bands, musicianship has really never been part of the punk aesthetic, right? <laughs> uh, be, you don't see a lot of, and this person was the best bassist ever among all bassists or drummers or hell singers or any aspect uh the punk aesthetic that inspires colton drives colton and his band you know none of this is about musicianship and being a savant the finest ever it's about conveying emotion and energy and attitude done with hitting things and plucking things and yelling into microphones um so yeah really easy to answer i don't think it's so much of a negative but maybe it is maybe colton will pop me upside the head with a drumstick it'd absolutely be not colton herder that i chose and for that very simple reason so i don't know uh thanks for the question though i love it I love steering it towards the negative and seeing if I'm willing to get folks to yell at me. All right, we are done for this episode. Confirmed overnight, by the way, as well, that our next guest for the week in IndyCar will be Mark Miles, IndyCar CEO. So that'll be coming up next week and look forward to catching up with Mark and to see your questions that get sent in for that All right, I am Marshall Pruitt. This is a Marshall Pruitt podcast. Your Week in IndyCar listener Q&A brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets USA.